What's good, Pistons fans and NBA fans all alike? Welcome back to another episode of the Three Rings podcast. My name is Neil Sinhan, joined alongside with Vinayak and Aiden. And today we're taking a little bit of a break from all of the Pistons content that we've been doing and all of the draft content that we've been doing. Of course, the NBA Finals will be starting um, tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday, June 1st, and the NBA Finals Game 1 is tomorrow on June 2nd. So we thought we'd do a little bit of a finals preview of the Celtics and Warriors series. And so before we get into this episode, per usual, make sure to follow us on all of our social media accounts, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, everything, Twitter. Um, and, you know, like we say in literally every episode, make sure to hit us up in the DMs with any ideas you have or any questions you have for us and so on. So without further ado, let's get into it um, with this episode. So first, we're going to recap the conference finals and we'll start with the Eastern Conference finals with the Celtics and the Heat. I think with this being a Pistons podcast, we have to start it by mentioning that Kate Cunningham, Isaiah Stewart, um, Isaiah Livers, Killian Hayes, and Dwayne Casey were all at the Boston Celtics Miami Heat game six in TD Garden. Um, and so I was just going to ask you guys, you know, what what did you think about that? Did you like that they were there or what? I personally loved it. I think, I don't know when's the last time I've ever seen, like, even just the other NBA team that, like, brought their young guys to a uh, playoff game. But I think it's a great idea to, like, you know, kind of expose the players to like, you know, what playoff basketball really looks like. And this, this series was the definition of what I think, what, if you want to embody the Pistons, like what the Pistons are about is just defense. And it's just like low scoring games, you know, grindy and those types of games. Right. And I feel like it's be a, it was a good experience to just kind of expose them to like what the type of basketball looks like. I also think outside of just the fact that they were exposed, I think it's also good to see like the team just like bonding, you know, outside of, um, outside of just being on the team in the regular season, it's cool to see that they're hanging out. And it seems like Isaiah Livers is going to be like a core piece for them moving forward. And yeah, it's just cool to see the whole team, you know, come together. It shows the chemistry is good. Um, it's clear that uh, Cade and Isaiah Stewart are pretty close. I saw the video of them like holding the mic and yeah, I honestly, I love it. And the more content we can see of the Pistons, like, you know, outside of just basketball, just being together. I think that's just a really cool thing to see because this is kind of the future and the, the core that they're putting out forward. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the style of play, but also kind of Boston's build is similar just in the fact that they have a bunch of young, they have a young core with a bunch of lottery picks that they drafted. Um, I tweeted, I tweeted out, you know, they had a bunch, they had like 10 first round picks on their team and four or six of them were lottery picks and then they had four picks in the top six and then Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart were all drafted by the Celtics. Horford was the other one out or the other one that was top uh, six. But yeah, I think that's kind of the vision that Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver see is just, you know, build through the draft kind of, you know, Kate is, Kate is that Tatum kind of guy. And then, maybe Sadiq or whoever's at that that pick five is you know the the Jalen Brown and then you got you know Rob Williams Isaiah Stewart kind of like that and then you go out and get a seasoned veteran later on so yeah I think it was kind of showing them the vision and then also yeah just seeing seeing what that playoff you know final or Eastern Conference finals experience is like obviously Miami won that but you still want to see, you know, that home crowd show out and how electric they can be. Cause I think they know that Detroit fans will show out for them when they're good and that they'll be as rowdy as any other fan base and as loud as any other fan base um, in the league. Yeah. To be honest, you know, with this question, I don't really think there's really a way that you say it's not a good thing. Right. I mean, like you guys, already said um you know they get the experience of sitting in that playoff environment they get to understand how it works hear the home crowd and see the on-court intensity between all the players I think that's that's a smart thing to do as well as also by the way see like a lot of the coaching changes 
and the, the certain different strategies and schemings that teams will come up with in the playoffs, because it's very different from the regular season. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's a way that it was a bad thing. Obviously it's a good thing. Uh, they got that experience. I thought I was happy that Dwayne Casey, by the way, went with them. And there are some pictures I saw. Of, I don't think he sat with them for most of the game, but he was with Cade for a little bit of it because there's some pictures of him talking with him, showing him certain things that uh, the two teams were doing on the court or whatever. And so I think that's important because, like you said, Aiden, they're trying to build it kind of similar to what Boston's doing of build it organically. Don't rush it, build it in-house. You know, the Boston Celtics haven't made any crazy trades in the last five, six years to build this team. It's all been through the draft with guys like Jalen Brown, Tatum, Marcus Smart, all of those guys. And so that's what the Pistons are trying to do. That's what Troy Weaver's whole message of restoring the culture and building something that will last for the long term is about. And so I thought it was a good thing. I'm happy that they did that. And I always love seeing my Twitter feed with some Pistons. You know, I, I always love that. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on to the next question. So this one will actually be about the Celtics versus Heat series. Um, of course, the series ends in game seven with Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat down two points, 98 to 96. And they're in transition, the Heat are. And Jimmy decides to pull up from three, you know, top of the key, really didn't have too many guys around him. For And he pulls up for three, misses the shot. And everybody knows the story. Miami loses the series. A lot of people are now questioning that decision. Should he have taken that shot? Because some people say that he could have drove in and there was only one guy in the paint. I believe it was Al Horford. And Jimmy Butler has never been a great three-point shooter. He's solid, but a lot of people are arguing that he should have just gone in for the layup or maybe even try to draw the and one. What do you guys think? He should have taken it. I, I don't blame him at all. He's a star player. He also made that three in the first half. The transition pull up, he was wide open and he cashed it. So it's not like he hasn't done it before, but obviously he's a below average three point shooter, but he's your star player. He's the guy that, you know, you're building around. I wouldn't have put it in the hands of, you know, a Max Struess, a guy who like has a little less experience and then, you know, undrafted free agent kind of you know role player I'm putting it in the the star hands I don't blame him for it obviously hindsight 2020 not not the greatest shot because he didn't make it but yeah I don't blame him whatsoever yeah I have to agree there like I think what he said after the game what I, I think like is a perfect way to say it just I'm living with it he lives with that shot. you live and die with the shot and you know it is what it is this series kind of felt like it was the Celtic the Celtics honestly should have taken this series probably in maybe five or six games. Like, I'm not going to lie. I felt like they were just the better team overall, but Miami was just feisty and was able to hang around. Thanks to Jimmy Butler, who if he makes that shot is like a Miami, Heat. he's still a Miami heat legend, but he would have really elevated his, um, you know, his stature there. But I think you have to live with the shot. It's not like Jimmy Butler was getting much help from the rest of his other team teammates. Only other player in that game was Bam Adebayo who had 25, but Kyle Lowry had 15, Vic Oladipo nine, Gabe Vincent four points. Like, it's just like they didn't have any other options. And this game two, game seven, it felt like the Celtics were just the better team throughout the game. And one thing I've noticed is the team that, this is kind of obvious to say, the team that plays better throughout the game will win the game. But every now and then a team does come and steal a game, which you think like they probably shouldn't have won. And this is the type of way they do it. They make some sort of shot like Jimmy Butler took. I think even if the game went into overtime, I still think the Celtics were going to win. They were just the better team. The Celtics, I think moving forward, though, can't really afford to have that uh, those late game like issues. Like They need to execute better. But, um, yeah, you live with it. I don't think Heat fans – I think Heat fans may think, like, you know, if we weren't injured, we would have probably had a better shot this series, which I agree. I agree, too. They were really banged up. So, you know, grind up gear up for next season and get back at it because they are a solid team. And, yeah, I think – I think Jimmy was right for taking that shot. I kind of wanted to tangent there, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys on this one too. I think Jimmy, he's got to take that shot. Listen, he's an NBA player. And even more than that, he's an NBA star. 
And so when you have a wide open three like that, you, you know, you got to take that. You got to have the confidence in yourself to take that shot. That's what all stars do. And so I have no issue with it. And I'll also say, like Aiden said, he hit the exact same type of pull-up three. I think in either the first quarter or second quarter, literally looked the exact same, except it was going the other way in the court. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I have no issue with it. I'll also say, you know, to your point, I if he does go for the layup and let's say he makes it, let's say it goes to overtime, I'm not sure Miami wins that game just because they had already lost Kyle Lowry due to uh, fouling out. I think P.J. Tucker was at five fouls. And then they had someone else. I think it was either Struess or Bam Adebayo at five fouls. So they were in foul trouble. Jimmy had already given it his absolute all in the game. I mean, he had 47 points. Like, you know, and that kind of leads into what I also wanted to talk about with the Miami Heat. Get that man some help. I mean – Sheesh, man, like Jimmy, and I know that the Heat were dealing with injuries. I know Tyler here was out and so on and so forth. But come on, Bam out of bio had six points in game six. He had eight points in game four, I think. Like you, they got to go out and get him help in free agency and, and be aggressive in, in the trading market too because Jimmy Butler should have won this series. He was fantastic um, in the second half of the series. And if he had – and just one other star, like legitimate star with them. Miami's in the finals right now. And so that leads me to this question of what can the Miami Heat do in this offseason? What, and what should they do? Do you think they should just run it back or, you know, what, what do you think they should do? Um, I think, I think for the Heat, you obviously have Jimmy, you have Bam, but um, yeah, like you said, they just need another step. Kyle Lowry is supposed to be that, you know, that other guy next to Jimmy, but let's face it, you know, age, it's not really the age that's concerning. It's more so the injury history. Like he, Kyle Lowry gets injured a lot. And then you factor that with the age and then you just have a recipe for kind of a disaster. You're not going to get a player. And I think the problem, so here's how I see, they have, this is also the Celtics have a similar problem. They have a bunch of great depth and they have assets to get a star, but they, they probably fear that, you know, giving up, these assets for a star means they're giving up all this depth. So the Celtics, you know, they have Marcus Smart, they, they have Grant Williams, all these good players, the Heat, you know, they have Duncan, although Duncan did have himself not the best series, $90 million man on the bench, but they have Tyler Hero, you know, Gabe Vincent, Max, they have all these great players and they could use them as assets to get a star like, you know, Bradley Beal, but they probably worry about like depth and things like that, depth and things like that. But I honestly think, yeah, you need to explore the trade market. I'm not sure Miami has the money for a free agency because they signed Butler to a huge contract, same with Kyle Lowry, but an avenue to trade, make a trade, to have a kind of a third solidified guy around Jimmy Butler and Bam. And let's face it, like Bam, he's, I think he's a lot better than what he showed in the playoffs. I think it was just a rough time. Also, Robert Williams and the Celtics just gave him a lot of trouble, but yeah, they need that kind of third guy to, you know, help guide Jimmy and Bam and Kyle Lowry. They could run it back, but you know, there's no guarantee with health. And I think, yeah, they need to uh they need to get they need to get third guy or at least mix something up because yeah, it wasn't also you have Tyler Hero who now wants to be a starter, which that now complicates things more. And if you want, that's how you make a trade, right? Ty take Tyler Hero, trade him, get a star, he gets a star, and then you get someone like Bradley Beal on your team. And, and now you're talking like Heat are legit champ championship contenders. So that's how. That's how I would look for it too. That's how I would go about it. I mean, I don't think it's far-fetched that, you know, Tyler Hero can be a starter on the Heat. I mean, I think you could start him alongside Jimmy Butler. I don't think that's going to be an issue. You can move him, Jimmy Butler, to the three. I think the problem with them in the trade market is kind of like you were talking about is assets because I don't really think they have a ton just now that Duncan Robinson – his contract now looks bad because he had a bad season. You know, I mean, like PJ Tucker's old, Kyle Lowry's old, you know, all these guys are aging. You got like Markeith Morris and like Dwayne Dedman and Oladipo is not the same after that injury either. So it's kind of hard for them for, for trade assets. I think free agency is the way they have to build. Um, to get a to get another star player so they're gonna have to wait patiently on that um so that that's kind of where I'm at so 
I think if they do run it, I think what's most likely is they will run it back. Um, but yeah, somebody somebody's got to get traded, uh, and they they got to yeah they got to sacrifice somebody that they don't want to. Um, is kind of where I'm at if they're gonna trade somebody and get a Bradley Beal, they might have to give up. Uh, Bam, if that if that might be that might be the case, but Pat Riley is a great GM. Uh, Spolstra is a great head coach. So I mean, they have that culture uh, going, and it's not going to change. So I think they'd be willing to sacrifice and take that risk. Um, and I think it could pay off in the end for them. I'll also add just real quick that. Compared to other teams that got eliminated in the playoffs, I think the Miami Heat are actually probably one of the better situations. Like, they're not they're not like the Sixers where you know they have to pay someone or they have to someone genuinely has to go. Because yeah, like you said, they could run it back, but there are options. Like I think like they have their picks, they can move those around. I think Tyler Hero, like you said, he can play next to Jimmy, but they can also look to train. Like I feel like they have a little bit more of like a flexible offseason plan than. I would say someone like the Sixers, like the Phoenix Suns, for example. So it's not like all doom. I guess it's not doom and gloom in Miami. Like they, they, you could say they kind of overachieved this season because no one really projected them again. But yeah, no, I just wanted to add that that they have a pretty, it's a pretty flexible offseason. It's not too too bad. Yeah, I mean, I just want to say quickly as well. Like this free agency class isn't the greatest. I think you're waiting on you know the next couple uh, years down the line. So if they are going to do the free agency route, then like I think waiting it out wouldn't be the, the worst option. And I think they could also – I don't know if they've traded any picks in the future, but honestly, if they had a down year next year and got you know a lottery pick, I don't think they're going to be that bad. But if they got a lower pick, like that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world and could be a, a trade asset as well. Yeah, I think that's kind of the hardest thing for Miami this offseason is that they're stuck at 132 million in their payroll, I believe. Yeah, 132.7 million. So they don't have cap space. And so when you're kind of stuck like that, and they're most of those are guaranteed contracts and long-term contracts. I mean, Duncan Robinson's five-year 90 million is one of them, as bad of a deal as that was. But yeah, I mean. When, when that happens, basically Miami's going to, if they do really get aggressive this offseason, they're going to have to go for sign-in trades in the free agency. And so I, I could see that making sense where, you know, you try offloading someone like Tyler Hero, like you said, Vinayak, or maybe Kyle Lowry, I don't know, and you try to get a legitimate star. Because I think, let's see, of the free agents this year, Guys that make sense for Miami. I think Kyrie Irving makes quite a bit of sense for the Heat. I'm not sure how that would work out in terms of how they managed to get him from Brooklyn, especially considering, like I said, they don't have the money. But if they can form some sort of sign and trade with him, I think that would be that would make a ton of sense because Miami is a great defensive team. And with Jimmy Butler back there in the backcourt, it doesn't matter if you have Kyrie Irving's horrible defense, you have his offense, which matters you know, a lot. That's going to help them. And so someone like Kyrie, Bradley Beal, like you guys said, I think those are good sign and trade options. So I think they're going to have to explore that a lot because the thing that I'll say is that Jimmy Butler's 32 years old. And so the clock's starting to tick already. I mean, we've seen him deal with so many injuries throughout his career but especially the past few years, I mean, in this playoffs, he got injured again during the regular season. I think he played less than like 60 games or something. I could be wrong on that, but I thought he was injured for quite a while. So the clock's ticking for Miami. And that's why I think they got to make a move this off season. I don't blame them if they try to run it back just because, you know, Tyler Hero was out this series, Bam Adebayo did not have a good series, even though he is a talented player. And so I don't blame them for running it back if they do, but, I think you got to be aggressive right here and really try to go for something while you have Jimmy Butler in his prime. And so on the flip side of Miami, of course, in this series was Boston. And we'll start out with this question. I thought Ime Udoka had an absolute masterclass of coaching in this series. In fact, I thought I've been saying all year, I don't think 
not all year for the end of the year. Um, not that maybe he should be coach of the year, but that he at least should have gotten a lot more votes. He wasn't even second or third in voting for coach of the year. That was Taylor Jenkins. And I forget who was third, but um, what I was going to say is I think Ime Udoka should have got a lot more credit for what Boston's done this year. When you consider the fact that this is just his first season and he's taking the Celtics all the way to the finals. And in the regular season, they, the Celtics were not very good at the beginning of January. I mean, we were all talking about them possibly trading Jalen Brown, splitting up the, the Tatum Brown duo. They decided to keep it together. And guess what? They finished that the rest of the regular season, like 27 and six or something like that. And so I think you got to give Ime Udoka a lot of credit. And especially in this series, I thought he did a fantastic job. There's some coaching lapses that they're going to have to figure out, but I thought he did a great job. And so what do you guys think about Ime Udoka? And also I'll add this point too. a report just came out like two days ago that the Pistons turned him down, that he was second in our coaching search. He, he finished second in our coaching search in um, 2015 and we fired Sam Van Gundy. Or no, not, not 2015, 2017. when we fired Sam Van Gundy and then brought in Dwayne Casey. Did you guys think that was a good decision looking back on it now? Or what do you think? And also, of course, like I said, what did you think of him in the series? For the first one on the series, I think, I think just in general this season, he's just done an incredible job, you know, bringing a team that was like 500. They were like, I forgot the record, like 14 and 15. They were, or I don't know if you have the record, but they were playing like 500 basketball and then just to elevate them to another level. We, we just talked before recording this, they went 27 and six in their last 33, last 33 games. So that obviously has to do more than just, you know, the players just improving their play style. I mean, the coaching was tremendous. He's coaching a defense that is the best in the league. And it's going to be, this is going to be his biggest task to, uh, when they play the Warriors, the best offense they face. So it'll be cool to see, you know, the best um, best defense versus the best offense. And you can thank that defense to Ime uh, Adoka. So, no, good for him. And I'm, I'm really – I think he did a great job with the series. He neutralized the heat. They weren't really able to get much momentum. I, like we've said, Jimmy Butler had to drop 47 points in, like, in game six for them to win. So, no, props to him. Now, as, as for if he should have been the Pistons coach, I think – I think he would have been a solid coach, but like it's hard for me to, if I'm remembering correctly, did Dwayne Casey's first year was with uh, Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, and then the next year is when we get you know Christian Wood and Luke Kennard, Bruce Brown. Like I, I, I think like the talent level does matter. I, I don't think at the stage we maybe with the Blake Griffin team he gets more out of them. Fair enough, but um, the, with the direction that this team was going, it was clear that it was going towards a rebuild. And I, I don't think that there is really much of a difference between Dwayne Casey or Odoka when it comes to a rebuild, because a rebuild is just, you know, encouraging your players to just play better and develop. And developing players, I think, is something which I lean towards an older coach. I think that's something an older coach probably can help more than a younger coach, because I feel like with the younger coach, the more emphasis on, you know, let's be competitive, you know, let's, I think Udoka would be a perfect, like, once Casey goes and the team is ready to cost make some noise in the playoffs I think he would be good but I don't think it's I don't think Pistons fans should like stress too much about the fact that we got Dwayne Casey over Udoka at least at this stage right now perhaps maybe once Cade and all are good then we can start talking about Dwayne Casey and you know the next coach after him who can actually take us to the next level because I think that's what Udoka did he took the Celtics to the next level so that's that's where I'm at on that but it's cool though I mean we obviously have some good scouts in the department we finished second which obviously didn't get the job but you know the Pistons scouts Arn Tellum Ed Stefanski doing their work as usual so that's good to hear (laughs) I don't know if I like to give Ed Stefanski credit for for much but um yeah I mean when you're going through a rebuild there's not much you can really do than just kind of sit there that's kind of what Dwayne Casey is doing um but yeah I kind of agree about you want an older coach for a rebuild and then he's never had a head coaching job before so kind of you know that's always 50 50 in pretty much any sport um just a massive unknown you don't know what they're gonna what you're gonna get out of them so I think you know Dwayne Casey is fine for now like it's not 
not really that big of a deal. But yeah, it's good that they did kind of um have him second on the list. And that yeah, that does say something to the the talent, uh pe- the people looking at the talent. Um but yeah, I think he did a way better job than Taylor Jenkins in the playoffs. Memphis really bottled that. And I didn't really expect them to beat the Warriors, but the way they lost was just terrible. He he just had, you know, blowout after blowout game, and then they won by 50, and then they just got blown out again. So I think – I don't know if I would say I'd fire him, but he comes from the Mike Budenholzer tree, and up until last year, Mike Budenholzer was known as one of the biggest chokes in all of sports. So <laughs> there's that part. But, yeah, I think he he should have, you know, came in second – um at least for for kind of the the head coach of the year yeah I mean I kind of answered the first question already because like I said I think Ime Odoka is a fantastic coach and he's had an amazing season um with the Boston Celtics so you got to give him a ton of credit for that and specifically in that series against Miami I thought he did a great job but yeah, going to the second question that I asked with, you know, Dwayne Casey question should have been Udoka. I thought they made the right hire. I mean, when you look back in 2018 or 2017, um, Dwayne Casey had just won coach of the year. I understand that he didn't do well in the playoffs with Toronto, but I mean, he was, he was the top of the class. He was the guy that most teams wanted as their next head coach. And so I had no issue. I still have, don't have any issue with it. Um, I thought he was the right guy for the job and also say through this rebuilding process, you know, Dwayne Casey has showed that he can coach up talent and that he can coach young guys. I mean, in Toronto, I think Fred Van Vliet's whole career, frankly, in the NBA can be owed to Dwayne Casey and what a great job he did with him there in Toronto. Same thing to Pascal Siakam. You know, those are guys that Dwayne Casey developed for the Raptors. And I understand that he didn't get the immediate, um, you know, results that Nick Nurse got, but he's still a very good coach. And Pistons fans need to do well to remember that because I think throughout all this rebuild, a lot of people have forgotten about that. And the other thing I'll say is that anytime anybody's rebuilding, they're going to have bad records. I mean, let's just let's just keep it real. Like, if you're taking a team that the Pistons had in 2019, of gosh, Christian Wood being your best player with, with guys like uh, Brandon Knight back. I mean, come on, man. Like they're, they're not going to win. Yes, sir. What do you say? John Henson, the boys. John, yeah, John Henson. Like, bro, when Sekou Dumboya was the the shining light of the Pistons organization, what do you think's going to happen? They're, they're not going to win games. Like, so it doesn't matter who was coaching them. It just wasn't going to go well. And I agree with you guys. I, I don't think Ime Udoka, if he was coaching the Pistons, I guarantee you he would not be talked about as a great coach right now. I guarantee you that because I don't think he would have done much better than Dwayne Casey at best. Maybe they win five more games last year and the year before, but you know, they sure don't make the playoffs. So I don't know. I thought the Pistons made the the fine hire. I understand that Udoka is a great coach and I'm happy for him, but you got to understand team fit matters a lot. And I think that's a big part of it. And so moving on, um, we're going to briefly go over the Warriors and Mavericks series. Speaking of great coaches, um, you know, Jason Kidd, I thought he had a fantastic series or not, maybe not a fantastic series, but fantastic playoff run. And then of course, Steve Kerr, you know, seen as one of the best coaches in this game. So honestly, I, I didn't really have any specific questions with this series just because I thought it was a very uneventful series. You know, there weren't really many close games. And the Mavericks, I mean, it ended in a gentleman's sweep. So I don't know. You guys can kind of take this wherever you want to. You know, what did you think of this series? And I guess what do you want to talk about? One one take uh, I, I can go for one take I had um, from this from this series was that I feel like the Mavericks actually they kind of shot themselves in the I don't know if they shot themselves in the foot, but I think the series could have been a lot more closer than it actually was. Um, dude, the Mavericks got a lot of open shots like. Avery, they shot a lot of three-pointers and within those for a lot of those three-point shots they were unguarded but no one seemed to be able to hit their shots obviously you would have games where Reggie Bullock would play good Jalen Brunson but 
there was just a lot of times like these players would miss their shots. Maxi Kleber, for example, just forgot how to shoot in one of the games. Like the Mavericks had a lot of opportunities, I think, to really put themselves ahead of the Warriors, but they just couldn't. I think for me, the series kind of flipped in game two. In game two, the Mavericks had that game. They were up by like 20 points and then third quarter comes and then it's just gone. Like all of a sudden, the Warriors... I don't even think the Warriors were even playing like that great. Like Steph Curry was sure he was hitting his shots, but the Mavericks just could not buy a shot. And even most of the time, like it was uncontested too. So once they blew that 20 point lead at that point, I felt like the series was just kind of over. Then game three comes Luca, obviously doing Luca stuff and, you know, props to Andrew Wiggins for doing his best to slow him down. But yeah, I just felt like the Mavericks, they just, they had opportunities, but overall couldn't capitalize. And then, Game game four, I mean, they won, but even then, late game execution, which is so vital. Like they almost blew that game, and in game um, in the final game, game five, Warriors were just able to pull away. So if I'm the Mavericks, I think obviously you don't know if this was a fluke or not because I don't know if you like still think to yourself we can run it back. I still think they need like another high end talent, but um, you have some players, you have some players to build off of. I think everyone was confused by the Spencer Dinwiddie trade and it seemed it worked out for them. I mean, they went to conference finals and then, um, then you talk about Jalen Brunson, you know, second round pick in 2018, he's now going to get the bag. I think he's also a great player for them. Maybe not for the Pistons, but for them, I think he's good. And yeah, moving forward, I, I think there's good things to come for the Mavericks. So yeah, I was impressed by them, but yeah, you just got to make your shots. That's kind of what I left with from the series. I mean, it's the same problem with Miami. They just Luca doesn't have any like help. He doesn't have a star next to him. They have a lot of money tied up in a bunch of guys who are quite frankly just mid. And uh, I mean, like Tim Hardaway is making just mid. 20, just mid. They have, for next year, just next year, their payroll is already at one hundred fifty-three million, almost almost one fifty-four. And then they're paying Tim Hardaway a little bit less than $20 million. They're paying Dinwiddie $20. they are paying Davis Bert, Bertans $16 mil. They're paying Dwight Powell $11, Reggie Bullock $10. Like, who would ever thought Reggie Bullock was getting $10 mil a year? Um, Dorian Finney-Smith's going to make $12 next year. I'm just going down the line. But – yeah, I mean, they got a lot of money tied up in guys who aren't, you know, star or borderline star guys. And they that's what they needed the most. And you could tell that the, the talent deficiency versus Golden State, you could just you could just tell because I mean Jordan Poole is probably the fourth best player on the, the Warriors, maybe the fifth. And he was probably he'd probably be the second best player on the Mavericks right now. Actually, no, he would easily be the second best player on the Mavericks right now. So there's that. I mean, the West is a gauntlet, anyways. So if they if they really want to keep competing, because Luca can't do it all by himself for the next, you know, five years or probably ten, because they will they will they'll always keep him there. So if if they want to keep competing for the future. They got to go out and get him a sidekick um, and a good one, too. So, yeah. Yeah, once again, man, I feel like I was just repeating what you guys are saying all day so far, but I'm, I'm completely with you guys. I think, you know, Luca and the Mavs are in a similar situation to Jimmy and the Heat um, for the exact reasons that were just stated. You know, they're stuck in money. They don't have um, all of their picks and so on. And so – Listen, if I'm Dallas, I look at it like this. You can run it back and you can be a solid playoff team again. And that's great. And if that's all that the Mavericks want to do, you know, more power to them. But that's not what the Mavericks, not all that the Mavericks want to do. I, I guarantee you not all of Mark Cuban, their owner, wants to do. Every team wants to win a championship. And even more than that, they want to build a dynasty and something that lasts. And if I'm Dallas, if you run it back, that's not going to win you a championship. Let's be clear. I, I will guarantee that right now. That if they run it back with just Luca and bring back Brunson and Dinwiddie and so on as their second and third best players, they will not win the championship next year. I don't care if Luca averages 50 a game. They won't win the championship. 
So you got to go out and get him help. And when I say help, by the way, I mean legitimate help. I don't mean just good role players and so on, because that might make you a good playoff team, but it doesn't win you a championship. You got to rely on Luca and one other star, and that's what they got to go out and find. And I'll also say this, if they can hit on their number two guy and, you know, find someone that's not too old also, that's important. I think I've been saying this for a while. I really think Dallas with Luca can be in a situation of turning into a dynasty. Luca is that good. You know, he showed it in this play. He's shown it his whole career, but especially this playoffs averaged 32 points, 9.2 rebounds and six um, assists a game. He was fantastic. He was the only like real shining light for the Mavericks in the series. And so you got to go out and find this guy some help and some legitimate help while you can. And while he's so young, because there will be a point that the shine starts to wear off and that maybe he starts to you know want to leave Dallas and so on. If, if you don't really capitalize on what you have right now. And so I think they got to be aggressive. And then I guess, Vinay, you kind of talked about Brunson real quick and that, brings me to this question with this being a Pistons podcast after seeing this series and seeing Brunson's playoff performance as a whole, do you think that he would be a good option for the Pistons? Should Troy Weaver sign him in the offseason? I don't, I don't think so anymore. I thought he's a, I think he's a really crafty scorer and he can, he can sort of defend, but I mean, that height is just, it's just willing. It's just asking to be, you know, exposed in the playoffs and, I don't know. I just I can't get behind throwing him such a massive contract because I know he's going to demand that type of money, like above twenty five million or twenty five million or even more. And I think there's just better avenues for the Pistons moving forward. I don't think I think I know what he's trying to go for, like that veteran. He's not a veteran. He's he's young, but that sort of player who's like kind of calm minded and can provide this somewhat veteran presence. But I just I just don't think it's worth the time that much money to a guy who can get exposed like really quickly in the playoffs and you know his shooting at times is kind of suspect so that's kind of where I'm at with Brunson would I hate it probably I wouldn't hate it but I think with the draft class at number five and the guards that are coming in that you could potentially get I just feel like the Brunson to the Piston hype just makes less and less sense and I think Dallas I think Dallas is the team that looks they want to retain him and he is a good player by all means I think Dallas I think he's going to do um a really good job of trying to maintain him. And if not, someone like the Knicks is just going to throw the bag at him anyway. But yeah, if I'm the Pistons, I may make him an offer, but I'd I'm, I'm be kind of apprehensive of giving him like, you know, four years, a hundred million. I don't know what his um max extension is. That's something actually we could look up, but yeah, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'm giving him the max per se. It wouldn't be a max, but it'd be so there was a report that NBA executives are thinking he's gonna get and this is before the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. They said it'll be in the range of 20 to 25 million. Um, so would you pay something like four years, 80 million to four years, a hundred million? And by the way, I think maybe it could be higher than that too. But I would explore actually like not four years, I think four is too long, but if you could do something like if you could get three, you could pay him higher, like 25, but if you could get three and somehow get like a team option in there, perhaps through your player option, whatever. I think the shorter the contract, the better, honestly. But um, yeah, I don't four years, a hundred mil. It's just a little bit, it's a little bit too much to tie into a player who like again, I mean, it is nowadays the market, like free agency players are worth like Jeremy Grant, I think 20 million is a bargain. So 20 million is still it's not as much as it used to be, but um still I think there's just better avenues for the pistons. We we're gonna talk about it in our draft series, but I think you can get a guard in this at five and then maybe focus on getting a big and free agency rather than doing it the other way around. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Neil, you can go. You've been, you've been the last, the rest of these, you can, you can go. (laughs) Hey, I appreciate that. No, yeah, I'll I'll take it that. Um, I don't think it makes sense for Detroit for the Pistons. I don't think Jalen Brunson really lifts the ceiling on the Pistons that much. He's a good player make no mistake about it, but I'm not sure yet that he's really too much more than a great starter. Like, I don't think he, I wouldn't consider him at all to be in like the all-star or star status. He's not there. And so I'm not sure you lock up a bunch of your future, like the Pistons would have to, to go out and get him, frankly. And the other thing I'll add, by the way, just as a fun tidbit, it came out about a month ago. There was a report that 
Dallas declined offering him a four-year $55 million extension last year. Man, that sucks. <laughs> that sucks for the Mavericks because that would have been an absolute bargain deal when you look at it now. Of course, hindsight's 2020. I don't think too many teams would have paid him four years, $55 million last year. But to not offer him that, and then now if they're going to keep him, they're going to be stuck in a lot of money. I mean, for four years, like I just said earlier, he'd be getting somewhere in the range of 80 to $100 million, possibly more than that. So that that's a tough one for the Mavericks. But, yeah, if I'm the Pistons, I think it's a no-go. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you guys are saying. But, yeah, going back to, like, their, their salary, they got – a little less than 154 million already for next year and i just looked it up the luxury tax for next year is already announced at 149 so they're already 4 million over the luxury tax um so they're going to have to do a bunch of salary dumps if they're going to if they're going to keep him and it's not just one it's probably going to have to be you know, multiple guys. So, you know, you're looking at Tim Hardaway or, you know, Davis Bertons and like Reggie, Bull, like three, it could be like two or three guys if they really want to keep him. Um, but I don't know. I think he will test the waters. I think, you know, there there's a market for him. And I think a, a team like, you know, Portland might, put a lot of money into him uh you know teams like indiana might like what he would do and pair him with halliburton or somebody like you know sacramento is known for giving out terrible contracts so they might give him the most money um but yeah i i don't see him staying in dallas um but yeah i think he's gonna get a lot more money than what a team like the pistons or Troy Weaver, more specifically, would like to offer him. Okay, so that will lead us then into our actual finals preview part of the episode. And so, you know, we're not going to keep this one too long, frankly. Who do you guys have winning the finals and taking home the NBA championship, and in how many games? This is this is uh, always a fun portion to do, portion to do, because we always get it wrong. I know I'm going to look stupid, like you know, two weeks from now, but. I think the Warriors are going to prevail. I kind of, you know, I used to not like the Warriors, you know, because um, once they started winning so much, they got KD, became kind of annoying. But once you start realizing, like, these players, like, they actually have, like, legacies, like, Steph's legacy is going to be getting that fourth ring. And that fourth ring without KD on his team is, you know, that's that's next level. You know, that's that's something that puts him up with the all. He's already an all-time great, but that really, like, cements his legacy. So I think the Warriors just have the experience. Um, that the Celtics don't have just yet. I think that's going to be a key factor. I do think the Celtics will kind of keep it close. I, I think they, I don't think it'll be like a sweep or anything, but I think the Warriors will eventually pull away. I think I got Warriors in six. I think they managed to figure out, I think the Celtics will put a scare in them, perhaps in game one or two, they'll steal a road game, but I eventually think the Warriors will kind of figure it out and yeah, they'll, they'll get themselves the fourth ring. I don't know if the six games is right, but I, I think I have Warriors winning. So, yeah. Yeah, I definitely have the Warriors winning. I do think it will be uh, six games as well. I do see them winning, or I do see the Celtics winning game uh, two. And then they could win back-to-back. -back. They win game two and game three. And then Warriors win one and then four through six. Um, I yeah, I think they do give them like a run for their money just because they're high on momentum. A guy like you know Al Horford's never been there, so I think he's gonna be ready. But the Warriors are just so versatile; they can take whoever they want out of the game. They can play small, they can play you know big, they play fast, they can play slow, so they can eliminate whoever they want. Um, but Tatum will get his. It's just the rest of that cast. And I'm going to be interested to see what they do about Jordan Poole and kind of what the Warriors do about Marcus Smart and kind of, you know, that that chess match. Um, because that, that could, you know, decide whether or not 
the Warriors sweep or, you know, maybe the Celtics win the championship. So, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I know me personally, I've been writing them off ever since the start of the playoffs. Um, and the Celtics have proven me wrong every step of the way. So um, I'll be interested to see, you know, what Ime Udoka does too. I mean, we just talked about how good of a coach he is. So, you know, we'll, we'll see um, if they get swept that that doesn't take away from anything that he's done this year either. I think, you know, that that's not a reflection on how far they've come. And, you know, Brad Stevens knows that as a first year GM and, you know, going from there. But I will say that the East is not the greatest right now. Obviously the West is the gauntlet, but the East is starting to get better. So, you know, the Celtics, I could see, you know, Tatum coming back to another finals, but it's just kind of a fair warning, you know, even to the heat, like, you know, this could only be a one-time thing. Same thing with the Suns. Like this could only be a one-time thing. So you want to capitalize on it. But yeah, that's kind of all I got. Yeah. Once again, completely with you guys. Um, I have the Warriors in six. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep it buck 50. (laughs) Like we, I guess we're all going with the same prediction here, but I do think Boston has the chance to, I think they have the players to keep it closer than people maybe expect, because I think most people are saying Warriors and also I've heard Warriors in six a lot, by the way. So it's kind of us and everybody that's saying that. But, you know, I just I think it's tough for them because, yes, you have Marcus Smart, who is a big time defender. I mean, you know, one defensive player of the year for a reason. But can he keep up with Steph's off ball movement? I don't know if he can, I'm, I'm sure that they'll put Marcus smart on him, but I don't think that he in the past, he hasn't shown that he's a great defender on Steph Curry. So I don't, I, I don't know. I'm just hesitant about that matchup right there. And then I think what the beauty of the warriors this season is that everybody at every, every position can make plays. I mean, straight up Draymond is a good playmaker for other players. Jordan Poole off the bench has been fantastic. Andrew Wiggins has taken the next step that everyone's been waiting for. Like, you know, and then of course they get Clay Thompson back also, by the way, who had a pretty solid uh, Western conference finals averaging almost 19 points a game. So it's just, it's tough, man. It's tough. And I think Boston will be right there. If, if they manage to force a game seven or like that, something like that, give Ime Udoka the bag, you know, extend that man for 10 years because that would be extraordinary. But like you said, Aiden, they got to take advantage of this while they can because I'm not sure that they'll be back with Brooklyn, with KD in Brooklyn, with um, Embiid still in the Eastern Conference, who knows what happens with Philadelphia and so on. They got to really take advantage of this. And I think I think Tatum certainly will try to. But you also got to keep in mind, the Warriors have done this time and time again. Steph, Clay, Draymond. They've been in the finals. This is what their sixth, fifth time, whatever it is. You know, these boys in Boston have never been in the finals. Tatum, never. Brown, never. Marcus Smart, never. Al Horford, ESPN kind of made fun of him with a graphic that they had of he's like, he's made, or he's played the most amount of playoff games without reaching the finals in NBA history. I mean, their team doesn't have that finals experience. And I think that's probably going to show. So I got Warriors in six, but that kind of leads into the next question since we all have the Warriors winning. Is there anything that Boston can do to keep it close and possibly win the championship? Like any like scheme, strategy, anything that they can do? I think if you can somehow like stop, this is kind of basic, this is really basic, but if they can have a plan to stop Steph Curry, you know, make him, you know, let make him run around more, double team him more, force him to, you know, make hard passes. I think that's like, that's got to be the bread and butter to kind of kind of stop the Warriors. Steph Curry is, I know we mentioned the Warriors, they have so many playmakers, but I think it all comes back to Steph Curry. I think you'd much rather have Andrew Wiggins try to beat you or, you know, Clay, Clay Thompson is still, is Clay Thompson, but he's not the same one from, you know, three years ago. So I think if you can hold, if you can hold down Steph and then just focus on the other players, I think that's a great way. And then you're also just going to have, you're going to need a, uh, magnificent performances from you know Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and I don't think 
it can be kind of a situation where one player is having a bad game, so the other one steps it up. I think they both need to have some games where they both kind of, you know, take over. I also think, like, health is pretty important, too. You know, Marcus Smart said, I think after the game, that he was, like, playing at, like, 70%. And obviously, a 70% Marcus Smart is, like, better than, you know, 0% Marcus Smart. But I don't know how, if there's that much of a time to get healthier, but I think that's also going to be vital. You need them to be 100% to, you know, guard Steph. But, you know, the Celtics do have a number one defense. They have great team chemistry. They have great depth. And I will say that, you know, if they are able to split one of the two games here, like in Golden State, it gives me some optimism that they can hang it, hang with the Warriors. And then it's easy to just see them come to Boston and, you know, win the next two. And then suddenly they're up 3-1. I know I just like, that's like the ideal scenario for the Celtics, but I think getting that one of the first two games in Golden State is going to be pivotal for them to kind of win the series. Because you go down 2-0, there are only a certain amount of teams that can do it. I'm talking the Ty Luke Clippers, the a team that Chris Paul, if the Chris Paul team is up 2-0, perhaps you have a shot, but the Warriors, they don't mess around. They don't blow 2 except that one year, but they don't really blow 2-0 two, uh, or 2-0 leads like that. So you want to capitalize on one of the first two games, so. That's kind of where I'm at. And yeah, they can get one of those first two games. I think they have a has as good of a shot as the Warriors do. Yeah, I mean, I agree about that. But I think in terms of strategy, it's got to be different. I mean, you uh, if you listen to there was a tidbit about the on Draymond Green's podcast about how Steph was putting up all these numbers in the playoffs. And he was double team more than Katie, and that turned into a whole beef. But I think the fact that Steph puts up all these numbers and he still double team says something. Like you shouldn't be double teaming him. You let him get whatever he wants. You have to take away everything else. You have to take away Wiggins. You have to take away uh, Clay. All those other guys, and that you know that's going to be heavily reliant on you know Marcus Smart. You know probably going to be guarding obviously Steph, but going to be also guarding Clay, Jordan Poole, guys like that. It's going to be on Jalen Brown too. But I think the difference maker will also be, it's going to be Robert Williams. He was the difference maker last, last series. He came back after his injury or whatever, and he was an instant impact. And I think that's going to be the same thing because like I was talking about earlier, Golden State is all about versatility. And, you know, I think he's very, he's one of the most versatile players right now in terms of or versatile centers. So it's going to be up to him, you know, to be a difference maker and get a bunch of rebounds. You know, I think Draymond's going to be guarding him. It's either going to be him or Looney. Um, so it's going to be up to him. And if he plays well, I think the Celtics will play well. Um, and just, yeah, the consistency is the other thing on offense they got to be consistent because these games aren't going to be like Miami it's going to be the complete opposite um but yeah that's kind of the two difference makers is kind of you know eliminate all stuff's other weapons and then Robert Williams yeah and that's kind of like the dichotomy of the different approaches that we could see here because like you know like you just said Aiden, you're you think that they should go with um let stuff get his own, but lock down everything else. The other approach that people have talked about is lock down Steph and let, if you're going to lose the series, you lose it because of Clay Thompson, you lose it because of Jordan Poole, you lose it because of Draymond Green, whatever. I kind of, I'm with you. I think you got to take one of the two approaches. I think yours makes sense. I would go more so the other one. And that I think you try your absolute best to just shut down Steph. And the different things that they can do for that are, I don't know, doubling because, you know, this team is different than the KD Warriors team and that you don't have another top five player on your team or possibly the best player in the world on your team. You know, if they complete, if they double Steph and Clay Thompson just manages to put up 55 points, so be it, you lose because of Clay Thompson. But Boston, you know, I don't know. I just think that that, that maybe is the approach to go. Maybe, maybe they go with box and one. That's what Cleveland did. In the 2018 finals, they did a little bit of boxing one against Steph. I think that's a possibility too, just because, listen, as good of a defender as Marcus Smart is, he can't keep up with Steph. Nobody can in the league. You heard Patrick Beverly say 
on first take the other day that anytime anyone's getting ready for Steph Curry, get to sleep by seven or 8 PM, you know, turn off your phone. Don't let your mom call you, whatever. Cause you know what you're getting when Steph comes to play. So I think, you know, you try your absolute best if you're Boston and whether it's boxing one, whether it's doubling, whatever it is to shut down Steph. And if, if Jordan Poole wins the series for the Warriors, so be it. I don't think Jordan Poole is ready for that stage. I don't think Clay Thompson is ready to lead a team to a championship like that. And so I think you kind of cut the snake um, by the head and hope that that wins you. Another thing I'll say quickly is second chance points. Kavon Looney has been fantastic so far this playoffs in getting offensive rebounds and leading to second chance points for the Warriors. You cannot allow any offensive rebounds to the Warriors. I mean, straight up, because they're such a good shooting team that if they get two shots out of three, you bet they're making at least one of them. So they got to shut down the defensive boards. They cannot allow the Warriors to get anything on the offensive class. And so that means guys like Al Horford. That means guys like Rob, Robert Williams, like you said, Aiden, you got to box out like crazy, even if that's the only thing that you do all series. Rebound like crazy. And then just hope that Tatum and Brown can get it going for you. But yeah, like I said, Marcus Smart's going to need a great series. Even if I'm Ime Udoka and I'm telling Marcus Smart, you're only going to play defense today. You're not playing offense because you're going to be so tired. I'm fine with that because if you can stop Steph, you give yourself a chance, I think. I will say quickly that, like, between the two, you know, kind of what you guys are talking about, doubling Steph and me saying, you know, Steph, the, the, it all, like, boils down to the same concept, though, of both systems are having you having the other guys beat you. Because obviously, like you're you're having stuff double team, like double teamed and everything, and it's like you you want Clay or Clay or whoever else Wiggins to make those open shots and have them beat you. It's the same thing. It's like, yeah, Steph. I mean, Steph can only score, you know, fifty some odd points. Like he's not he's not going to score one hundred and twenty two points. Like so, it's it's kind of that same. It's kind of this boils down to the same concept. It's just a pick your poison kind of thing. But yeah, that's kind of, that's all I had to say. Exactly. And I mean, I think that when I say doubling, by the way, I don't mean straight up, you bring two every single possession. I mean, like subtleties yeah. of like, if, if like there's a Kevon Looney, Steph pick and roll at the top of the key, yeah. yep, hedge, hedge the screen and like crazy. And you get up so that Steph's not taking a three. You know what I mean? Of like leaving Kevon Looney open a little bit on the roll and then you bring some help side defense, whatever it is. I just think because Steph, Steph's like crazy in his off-ball movement. You got to know where he's at every single time and possibly have two guys hedging wherever he goes, that type of thing. Um, and, and then I, I really think the boxing one is a possibility. I, I doubt that they go to it. I kind of think if I'm Boston, you see what happens in game one. You come in with your normal game plan and see what happens in game one. If they get blown out of the water, then you go to something like, doubling box and one whatever it is then you change up your game plan a lot I don't think they need to start it off like that is what I'll say I guess yeah I mean I think for how well Looney's been playing and just how how well he's been on the boards they wouldn't do that immediately and just kind of you know Al Horford is the slowest guy out there for both teams so you can really only if you really want to run it up and down you can really only play him when Looney's on the floor as well um, which, yeah, it's going to take him out of the game if they take Looney out and go small ball. But, yeah, that's that's what where uh, Rob Williams comes in. One final thing, too, I'll say just about the Celtics. They need their role players to step up big time. Like, I think Derek White needs to have huge games. He needs to hit his shots. Um, the game that they played against the Warriors, I think in the regular season, he went like 0 for 8, 0 for 5 from 3. There's going to be a lot of instances where he's going to be that open man in the corner and needs to knock down his shots. Grant Williams, now he can't be taking 17 threes in a game, although, I mean, I mean shoot, why not? But he needs, <laughs> he, needs to also, he needs to also, you know, have huge games or at least hit their shots. They're going to need all the help they can from their bench. Peyton Pritchard, players like that are going to be pivotal for the Celtics if they want, if they want to contend with the Warriors. Because if you can beat them with your depth, which I don't, I think the Warriors, I mean, they have solid players and you know, Otto Porter, you know, he's, he's a good player, you know, they're going to get Gary Payton back, but I do think the Celtics have a little bit more depth than the Warriors. So if that's one, 
Oh, a little, disagree- little disagreement. You there. sure about that? You know, not off the top of my head, maybe not, but I do think the Celtics, they have a solid bench. So getting contributions. We can go, we can go, we can go top to bottom right now if you want to. You might have to, because like I don't have like the rosters on my uh I need my head to like refresh, but um yeah, no, they just need help from their bench. We could though, we could though, we could look at, at their rosters, but fair enough. I think I think you need you need big games from the bench regardless. So no, I, I agree. But I think the thing is, is that the Warriors' depth is what has helped them beat a lot of these teams and kind of beat them soundly. Um, you know, especially, you know, we talked about, like, the Mavericks, like, lacked a ton of depth, and they exposed that. Same thing with Memphis. Like, they exposed their lack of depth past, you know. I mean, I will say Tyus Jones did have that good game uh five or six or whatever or yeah game five but yeah the depth has been I mean that's always been the Warriors thing though like ever since they've been good in 20 since 2015 was was the amount of depth that they've had yeah all right we are going to uh wrap this episode up then um so our last question we're gonna keep it brief here who wins finals MVP um yeah, just keep it brief. Neil, you can start. Hey, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll go with Steph. <laughs> you know, I think I think it's the obvious answer. Um, I kind of when he won the Magic Johnson Western Conference Player of the Year award, um, you know, I think that one was a little bit closer just because I didn't think Steph had an amazing series then, but even then he still deserved it. You know, I, I think it's kind of the obvious answer if the Warriors win. If the Celtics win, I think it's going to be Tatum. I, I just think it's kind of those two. So, um, I, I'm going to go with a little bit unconventional pick. Give me Kevon Looney. You know, he's had himself a, he's had himself a great. Uh, he kind of won them the Memphis the Memphis series just with his rebounding and stuff like that. And he's been he's been crashing the boards a lot. Either him or Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, I'm gonna make two picks. I'm gonna pick Andrew Wiggins or Kevon Looney. One of those two players, I think, are gonna be like a key contributor to the Warriors. And Steph, I think, will go another year without getting the Finals MVP. But um, it'll be one of those Andre Iguodala Finals MVP things. So um, yeah, give me one of those two players. I was just hey man, I'll let I'll let you say both players, bro. Those are so like unlikely that you can you can take them. <laughs> no, I just want to be unconventional. You know, I could go Clay or Draymond. I do think Draymond also should get a finals MVP at some point, but why not just give it to the two players that have, they've, they've been kind of the Warriors a little bit of Draymond's the heart and soul, but like Kevon Looney and Andrew, Andrew Wiggins are also played pivotal parts. So I think one of those two players will have um, a really good series, whether, and mainly through their rebounding. I think the rebounding is going to be kind of a really key factor that puts the Warriors, you know, over the top. So yeah, give me those two players a little unconventional, but yeah. Game on the line. Give me Andre Iguodala. No, I'm just playing. I was going to say Andrew Wiggins, actually, um, just because of how well he's played. Um, I I don't hate the Looney pick, though, because I think, yeah, for how well he's played, I think that's pretty fair, honestly. Um, I I will say I do like Jordan Poole a lot. I was um, I was just about to say that I think he's the it, second option for the it, it pains me to say how how much I like him just because I'm, he's a Michigan guy, but he's like so he's so entertaining to watch, um, being kind of the, the splash cousin or the third splash brother, um, whatever you would like, um, but yeah, I think Wiggins or Pool because yeah the whole Steph thing, and about you know. The Warriors, like I said, sharing the wealth. So, yeah, that that's kind of where I'm at. Not, yeah, I'm with you on the Jordan Poole pick. I was going to say that, if not Steph, I think he's a good. If you're better out there and you're trying to make a lot of money off of an um, maybe a less likely pick, I think Jordan Poole is a great option for the finals MVP. But, yeah, with that having – or having said that, um, we are going to wrap up or end this video. And so – want to thank everybody for listening that made it to here. Um, sorry, this was kind of a long one, but you know, there was certainly a lot to talk about. So like we always say, make sure to check us out on social media, um, follow, subscribe, like, and subscribe this episode and so on. 
show a Pistons fan. You know, how about that? How about we share this podcast to a few other people? So, um, yeah, thank you all for your support. We really appreciate it. And I guess I should say before I end this real quick that we have some episodes coming up. They'll be mainly about the NBA draft with we'll be going over prospect profiles um, in that little series that we're doing. Of We'll do Benedict Mathurin coming up. We'll probably do Dyson Daniels and maybe one or two other players, too. So be on the lookout for that, as well as an NBA draft or NBA mock draft episode as well. So be on the lookout for all of that. Again, really appreciate the support. Like and subscribe, and we'll see you next time on the Three Rings Podcast. Peace.